Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker, and we hope that today's episode will be good company for you during this Holy Week, friends. It's a beautiful story about resurrection that we wanted to share for your own meditation and reflection heading into Easter. This is a weighty week, maybe for some of us a busy week, but I hope this offering from my brand new book can be a good gift for you. Get comfy, friends. Here we go. Well, true confession, I'm sitting here getting ready for this conversation, sipping on a cup of what has become my least favorite drink, hot chocolate. (laughs) I have also been doing tea. All of them are now dead to me after we make it through (laughs) the other side of Lent because I am so ready to drink coffee. Uh, And I think I was reminded one one of the things, one of the many things in this season is not that I got like holier, but that I think I became more aware of my humanity and how it is cyclical. It is like, I think C.S. Lewis talked about it as sort of the valleys and the peaks that we go through, the troughs and the peaks, like as human creatures in human bodies, we are so up and down all the time. There doesn't seem to be a consistent baseline to who we are. Hmm. And yet, practicing Lent and looking toward Easter what we're really trying to do is to remind our physical, tangible selves that we are inhabited by an eternal soul. And the soul really, I feel like, it's funny, there's that Christmas carol, and the soul felt its worth. And I think it actually applies here in, in the Easter story, here in Holy Week. Like, it's in this week that you feel your worth in this unique way because someone is willing to pay this kind of price for you to be with them forever. Like that is the the weight of their love. It's so big. And so I look at my hot chocolate and I realize how small that is <laughs> that I'm trying to, in a sense, discipline. And discipline doesn't mean to put in a corner or shame, but discipline is like, you know, training. I'm trying to train part of myself to remember I'm not just a body, I'm also a soul. And my soul longs for something. And and it has tried to meet that longing in coffee in the mornings. <laughs> but really what I long for is Christ, even when I don't know it. And I was laughing, thinking as we sat down to prepare today, because because we are humans who are inhabited by a soul, we are layers of, you know, hunger and need and irritability and divine intention and our timelines get mushy and weird and we're trying to do something like with eternal impact, but we are limited. <laughs> by our very human selves. And so Christy and I were chuckling because while we're practicing Lent together, we're looking toward Easter. It had like slipped our minds that we were stepping into Holy Week. But at the same time, (laughs) Christy had been preparing a reading to bring that only as we sat down this morning, we realized, oh, it's Holy Week. It's the perfect reading. (laughs) So it is so great to know (laughs) that the lover of our souls has been here in the mix of our humanity preparing a place for you, beautiful, amazing listeners mm-hmm. this week. I feel like despite us, <laughs> he has prepared something good to nourish your souls uh, here in in the presence of Holy Week. Yeah, it's just wild to me. I'm, I'm chuckling as well, Lisa Joe, because it's almost as if <laughs> 
The Lord knows and loves our listeners so much that um, He kind of works around our my own inability to plan, to remember, <laughs> to you know, get things on the calendar in order to prepare conversations for us um, to offer our listeners because we are weak. We don't have it all together. We're kind of fumbling, stumbling along. Um, but just there are these moments where the mercy of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God sort of filling those spaces just becomes all the more evident. And so, um, yes, we have something special today for Holy Week, but here we are saying we didn't even know we had something special for Holy Week, and yet we arrived here to record and realized, oh, this is the week, and here is what we're offering, and this is good. And um, we just want to assure you that it is, you know, if it blesses you, if it feels like a gift, well, it's a gift straight from God, because we didn't even have it together <laughs> to figure it out. But here we are. Here we are anyway. Uh, blessings on this week, friends. It's a, it's quite a week. It's a heavy week, and we're just here um, in the middle of it and at the beginning of, if you're listening on Wednesday, the beginning of these holy days. And we, I always think something about the gardeners that lead us through Holy Week. I always mm -hmm. think it's interesting. Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. Mm -hmm. There's something about that idea of new life. Um, gardeners lead us through the whole cycle of death that's required to bring life. And our friend Christy, as longtime listeners know, is a gardener, in my opinion, extraordinaire. But she's also an everyday ordinary gardener. She has kids and chaos, but she... <laughs> Um, is called to steward plants and spaces in ways that not all of us have that specific call on our lives. And so to step into conversation with Christy is always to step into her garden is how it feels to me. And last year, she had a book come out called Garden Maker. And this year, she has a book coming out called A Home in Bloom, Four Enchanted Seasons with Flowers. And it's about bringing the outsides inside, how God has created us for living things and as stewards of living things. So for those of us who might not have big gardens, we can still bring that kind of life that God spoke into existence. We can bring it inside. And so today, part of what we're excited about is that she is going to read to us an essay from the book. And the essay, interestingly enough, both of us sort of chose it without having talked to each other because this was the essay that really struck me. And when I was talking to her about it, she said, oh, I'm, I think that's what I should read for the podcast. So the essay is called Practice Resurrection, and we hope it blesses your holy week. Mm -hmm, we do. So thank you, Lisa Joe, for sort of handing the podcast microphone over to me today. Thank you, listeners, for receiving this. Um, the book isn't quite out today if you're listening on time, but it will be out next week, which means that even today you can pre-order, which is such a help, such a support for writers. Um, you can pre-order if this essay touches you, if you want to read more, and you will have it. You'll have it right after Easter. It comes out April 11th. So, um yeah, this is a book that covers all four seasons, but we will begin today by sharing a little bit of spring because that's where we find ourselves. So anything else we want to say, Lisa Joe, before we say, you know, kind of get comfy, get cozy, get ready to listen? Anything else? <laughs> 
No, I just think it, it this operates so well as like a reading for this week. Yeah. I think often we're looking for things to listen to or keep us company as we travel through Holy Week. And I think this is a good one. You can listen with your kids, your family. You can listen in the car alone or while you do the grocery shopping, prepping for the Easter meal. I just think these are good words to keep you company wherever you are on the road uh, toward Easter this week. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lisa Joe. Thanks for... Um, giving me this space and time, and I am ready to read. So I know we said it already as we intro this episode, but I'm going to say it again. Get comfy, friends. <laughs> Here we go. This is Practice Resurrection from A Home in Bloom for Enchanted Seasons with Flowers by me, Christy Purifoy. My flower garden began with pencil marks on graph paper. Months later, it grew to life in the bare but sunny patch on the western side of our house. Sketching out a garden plan on paper before we pick up our spade is always a good idea, yet it doesn't guarantee success. I lived for years with a flower garden that closely matched the one I had first drawn on paper, but over the past few growing seasons, I have begun to admit that my original garden plan was not a resounding success. The four large quadrants of the garden with a round bed in the middle where the gravel paths would cross looked very nice. The garden photographed well, but it did not feel right. Because the center of the garden was planted with a bed of hazy purple catmint, the paths that circled it led you in and led you right back out again. Unless you were headed through the door of the potting shed, the gardener's domain, there was no invitation to linger in this garden. Even the benches I had once placed on the edge of two beds had been rendered decorative rather than functional as the roses and grasses grew to cover them, and no one not even me, wants to share a small garden bench with a thorny rose. What was needed, I began to understand, was a revision. The new design would not look quite as good, but it would feel wonderful. Or so I hoped. Are gardens pretty pictures to admire, or are they places to be? This is the question I kept asking myself as I contemplated something radical. Tearing out that central planting bed and filling the entire space with gravel. The current design was beautiful with its circular bed filled with soft purple flower wands at the center of the garden, but it wasn't functional. I told my husband I thought we needed to dig it out and extend the gravel of the paths throughout the whole space. That would give us enough room in the middle of the garden for a table and chairs, plus an umbrella for shade. There would be fewer flowering plants, but there would be more space for us to sit and be in our garden. It is a measure of my husband's love for me and his faith in my design ideas that he simply said, yes, let's do it. Wendell Berry ends one of his poems with the imperative, practice resurrection. I love the idea of resurrection as something I can make space for right now. It's exciting and empowering to think that rising to new life isn't something I merely sit and passively wait to receive, but something I step into and take hold of. This is resurrection as a way of daily living. 
But while the idea of beginning to experience today, the thing I had only hoped to experience on some distant tomorrow is exciting, the daily practice of resurrection is, it turns out, a daily sacrifice. Hopelessness is a dreary experience, but it doesn't ask much of us. It leaves us alone, though where it leaves us is not much fun. But the practice of resurrection is active and hopeful and built on faith. My husband had faith in me, but I wasn't so sure my idea was a good one. Was I willing to do the hard, daily work of transforming this flower garden when the outcome wasn't guaranteed? Perhaps it isn't even possible to practice resurrection on our own. Perhaps it is a way of living that works best when we are living from within relationships and community. My husband was willing, and he has the dexterity with a shovel to back up his enthusiasm, and so we began. While he did most of the literal heavy lifting, I dug out and divided the catmint plants from the center bed. Having sliced them into chunks, each with a neat tangle of roots, I carted them in my orange wheelbarrow over to the mound garden I've been trying to tame for years. The mound in our backyard is all that remains of what was once a large stone bank barn. The bank once guided wagons up to the doors of a second-story hayloft. The barn is gone now, and only the stones of its foundation remain, but the bank itself is still a solid, grassy mound. We placed a garden bench at the top, and it makes a nice perch to view the entire back garden, but the weeds up there have always been out of control. I hoped that a new planting of aggressive catmint, Nepeta is in the mint family after all, would hold its own against the vines and brambles. Now, this would be quite a tedious essay if I detailed the entire process of our garden regeneration. It is enough to say that several times a day for nearly a week, I complained to Jonathan that the project was a lot more work than I realized it would be. Deep digging and heavy hauling is just about the most physically demanding work we can undertake in our gardens. I wondered if we'd gone in over our heads. And since my husband was carrying most of the burden of the heavy labor, I especially worried that he wouldn't find it worthwhile. We engage in a lot of labor calculus in our home. With an old house in need of near-constant repair, time and effort spent on one project always means time and effort we don't have to spend on some other needed repair. Had we made the right choice? Had I steered us in the right direction? Or were we only, painfully and laboriously, spinning our wheels? During springtime in our gardens, it is easy to look around and believe we aren't simply waiting for resurrection, but are living in the midst of it. And maybe that's why I longed for a garden to be in, and not just one that made a pretty picture from the kitchen window. In the garden, resurrection is a predictable miracle. I can point to the calendar and tell you, give or take a few weeks, exactly when this miracle will emerge from the still cold soil. I can tell you all about the last time it happened, and I can plan for my garden's future, confident that spring resurrection will once again follow close on the heels of winter sleep and death.
practice resurrection. It's a galvanizing cry. Do I believe that death is not the end of the seed, but the beginning of new life? If so, then what am I waiting for? Today is the day to live the resurrection I believe and go on living it. Because that is the thing about ordinary, predictable, life-changing miracles. They are ordinary, predictable, life-changing practices. They aren't a one-time only happening. They are always happening. They are always inviting us to participate. To practice resurrection means living in ways that make resurrection possible. If I don't save a seed or purchase a seed, if I don't plant the seed and water the seed, then the seed can't die. If the seed can't die, the seed can't live again. What should I be losing and letting go and allowing to die? What dreams should I be tucking in for a long winter's sleep? And where and what should I be planting with hope and faith? Gardener and theologian Vigen Groyan explains that God calls us to tend not only the garden that we call nature, but also the garden that is ourselves. I find that to be one of the most hopeful things I've ever read, because gardens, and you can take this gardener's word for it, always come back to life. I gave up the perfect paper plan of my flower garden. I let go of the photogenic way the purple catmint softened the straight lines of the white garden shed. I wore myself out carrying heavy bags of pea gravel. And while I remember the doubt and the effort, the memory that is most vivid to me is of the first time we sat, Jonathan and I, comfortably at our glass-topped table right there in the very center of the flower garden. The roses weren't yet blooming, but I could see how they were just about ready to burst into flower all around us. It was my old, beloved flower garden, but it was new and improved, and I was no longer an observer. This garden was no longer just a space for passing through, one that let me enter but then spit me right back out again. Now it had become a garden embrace. Have you ever been held by a garden? It's worth any effort, and there's simply no place I'd rather be. (laughs) 